Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Internet Marketing, episode 18, the technology behind web pages. Mr. Daniel Rouse, Happy New Year, sir. Happy New Year, Andy. Did you have a good Christmas? I had a fantastic one. And uh, as people are aware, where we are in the South Coast, there was a uh, rather massive Fat Boy Slim party on the beach. 20,000 people standing in the rain yesterday. So uh, if I'm a little croaky, I apologise, but that's what happens when you stand in the rain for five hours. Was it good? It was fantastic. Even though it rained? Yeah, I think that kind of upped everyone's very English spirit. Stiff upper lip and all that kind of thing. It was very nice indeed. So. There was 100,000 people with very stiff upper lips no, listening? About 25,000, I think, in a very small space. So it felt like lots more. Just for those of you who are wondering what we're talking about, this is an internet marketing podcast, but we're just because we both live in Brighton, me and Mr. Rowles, uh, we were talking about the Fat Boy Slim concert which took place, which apparently was extremely good. I couldn't go, even though I only lived two roads up from it. Um, I couldn't go because I was doing something else extremely important. Apparently it was fantastic. But today we are talking about the nuts and bolts of web pages and how it fits into internet marketing. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it would be useful to discuss, um, we've touched on a lot of these things before, um, like HTML, JavaScript, dynamic languages, there are lots of terms people will come across a lot, um, and I thought it would be good just to give a nuts and bolts explanation of what it's all about, um, how a web page is actually built, constructed, and how that actually ends up being displayed in your browser. Okay, so let's talk about the nuts and bolts, the bricks that make up a web page. Let's talk about HTML. Okay, so um, the first thing to understand is that you see a web page displayed in your browser, um, but it actually is sent from a server, a computer somewhere else. And essentially, because the internet is just a network of computers, a server is just a computer that's sitting on that network somewhere. So what happens is you put your address into your browser, it goes off to the internet itself, requests that page, finds out where that page is held, and that page is then sent through via the internet to your browser from the server. So those are the two, the two main elements. All that generally is, that file, that, that kind of page that's sent, is a text file. There's nothing much more to it than that, really, at the end of the day. But that text file is then interpreted by your browser and turned into a web page itself, along with all the pictures and any other files that that page is made up of. This is one of the reasons why different browsers will show different pages in different ways. And there's this kind of browser compatibility issue. Because... A browser takes what is sent from the server and then interprets it how it thinks it should be interpreted. Mm -hmm. So, for example, Firefox will not necessarily show a page the same as Internet Explorer will. Yeah. Um, and that can cause a few problems. And when people are building web pages, they need to be very aware that a page will work in both types of browser. And, of course, the language that this text file is written in is HTML, which, of course, as everyone I'm sure knows, stands for Hypertext Markup Language. Tell us a little bit about that, Daniel. 
Um, HTML is a fairly basic language that allows you to set up the display elements of a page. So you can put text in, you can set up headers, you can set up borders, all that kind of thing. You used to build pages using something called tables an awful lot, which allow you to rearrange the different spaces on the page. That's changed quite a lot now because that could be quite different, quite difficult, sorry, for different browsers to display correctly. And it can get quite messy building pages in tables as well because you've got columns and rows and it all gets very hard to interpret. So now what we do is build pages using a thing called CSS, uh, which is cascading style sheet. And the idea of that is that it separates the content, i.e. the text um, and the pictures of the page, from the layout of the page and how the page should be displayed. And that way it means that pages can be displayed more consistently across different browsers. And also it makes it easier to separate what the content is and what the layout kind of. And all CSS is it will just say what a bold font looks like, what color a font should be, how spaced out the page should be, where different elements like headings and things like that should be shown. So essentially just text again, um, just formatted in a certain way, just to tell you what different elements the page should look like. Okay, so the HTML uh, defines the different parts of the page by marking them up, yep. and the CSS or cascading style sheet tells the browser sort of where on the page and what colour to make these different elements, etc., etc. So it really is a true separation of, as you say, content from layout. Yeah, absolutely. It's not perfect. It's not perfect. There are some little foibles in CSS where you might find it quite tricky to lay pages out, and one thing will display on one browser and not the other. But essentially, that's where it's heading. And it, it, as each different version comes out of HTML and CSS, it is getting better all the time. And the browsers are getting better than they used to be at being more compatible with one another. There are quite a few issues with the new version of Internet Explorer 7 that just came out, um, displaying things differently. But it's because it's more standards compliant now than it used to be. I was going to say, it's because they fixed a lot of the bugs, isn't it? Yeah, the previous versions have been quite, this is Internet Explorer and this is how we do it. We do it different to the actual standards. Whereas now, it, it, it works a lot more compliant to standards. So unfortunately, a lot of web pages stopped working. Um, but you know, a lot of people I think have found that, that not to be too much an issue because it now means that one version of a page will work in Firefox and Internet Explorer. But we make no promises on that. <laughs> you can find it still being quite a problem. Now let's talk a little bit about JavaScript because thinking mm. about HTML, it's, it's quite a static sort of um, concept and it sort of shows you where the elements are and then the CSS tells you where they should be laid out. But we all can encounter these, these rather nice sort of dynamic-y, moving-y bits and that's, that's mainly down to JavaScript, is it not? Quite a lot of it can be, yeah. JavaScript allows you to write things like drop-down menus and interactive forms. And how that's done is that there's a, a language, basically a programming language called JavaScript, that allows you to play with elements on the page, do some logic, most things that you do with a normal programming language. But the difference is that JavaScript is, again, interpreted by the browser and run by the browser on your computer. And we'll talk about dynamic languages later on, but it's different to that, because dynamic languages are done on the server side of things. This is done actually within your browser itself. So JavaScript will it will be within the text file, within the HTML file itself. It will load up into your browser, and your browser will interpret what it wants it to do. And that might be build a dynamic menu, display things in different ways, move some things around the page, that kind of thing. Um, what effect does the, does things like JavaScript have on, on sort of you know page optimization? CSS and HTML, first of all, CSS is a good thing for page optimization for the search engines because it separates out the content from the layout, makes it easier for the search engines to see what the page is all about. Mm -hmm. So that's a good thing. JavaScript can actually be quite a negative thing for the search engines. The reason being that it dilutes down what's in your page, i.e. your HTML file is going to be a lot bigger because it's got all the code in there as well. So it's harder for the search engine to work out what the page is about. And also, if your content, if your text is within, is actually wrapped up within the JavaScript, it means that the search engine might not be able to see at all what the co content of the page is all about. So it's not always a good thing. So use it sparingly when you can. 
It is possible, though, isn't it, to, to have an external JavaScript file and, yeah. and link to it, isn't it? That's right. You can actually separate the two files out. That makes it a lot easier for the search engines. The other problem you will have is that you'll find that some browsers or some people using browsers will have turned JavaScript off. Now, it's quite a small percentage, probably less than 5%. But still, if people have switched it off and it's fundamental to your web page, your web page won't work at all. Okay, let's talk about some of the dynamic languages. So far, we've talked about HTML, which is, is static. Basically, it's a static text, text file yeah. which sits on the web server. And when you request it, it the, the server just goes, oh, he wants that page, and literally hands that text file to the browser on a plate. That's right. But the clever thing, tell us about the clever thing about dynamic languages such as PHP, ColdFusion, ASP. Okay, with each of these languages, what will happen is you'll send a request through to the server again for a page, but probably there'll be some sort of information along with that, i.e. who you are, you may be logged into a web server already, or you may have put some information into the previous page. What will happen then is the server will bring up the page, it will see that it's not just a plain HTML file. It will see it's an ASP file or a PHP file or a ColdFusion file, one of these languages. It will then know it has to do some processing on that page. It doesn't just serve the page and send the page as it is. It needs to interpret that page, run whatever code's on the page, and then whatever's produced from that, it then sends that. So each different version of the page could be different depending on who's requesting it. Yeah. So a simple example, you fill a form and put a postcode in. The weather page comes back, but the weather page will have the right weather for wherever that postcode was that you put in. Yeah. So, and what the server will have to do, it will say, okay, here's the page that's requested, here's the postcode, I run the code on the page, and I build a new page on the fly, is how it said, and that sends back a page that's got the right information in it. So that, that's the key clever thing about these dynamic pages. And of course, a lot of these dynamic, dynamic pages are linked to databases at the back end, aren't they? That's right. What can happen is that you'll put in, for example, you could do a postcode again. Let's use that example again. It will go into the database and say, okay, what are events are on in this, in this locality over the next week? Go into the database, look anything up that's related to that postcode, add that information to the page, and then send that page at the end back through to the browser. So it basically means that we can do a lot more with web pages using these dynamic languages, a lot more clever kind of things. And pretty much any e-commerce website or anything like that will be using some sort of dynamic language. I was going to ask that. What's, have you got some good examples of how dynamic pages can be used in the internet marketing machine? Pretty much any website um, of the e-commerce type, like we just said, would be anything like Amazon, anyone like that will be built using a dynamic language. When we're talking about databases, quite a common for a local area is to have a listings website that will literally tell you what's on under different categories. So you might select a date and then you might select um, something like you want to go to a nightclub or you want to go to what's, see what's on the cinema. The information is pulled out of the database and that will be served back to you. Just sent back to you. So anything that requires any information that's specific to what you're requesting will generally need some sort of dynamic language. But most useful sites on the web, other than just kind of directories of information, will need some sort of dynamic language to actually build them to make any useful content. Okay, let's talk about server options here. I mean, we've basically got two main categories, haven't we, of, of where your website might be hosted and how it might be hosted. Yeah. Um, basically, the thing with the server is that you can get server space to put your website on where it's hosted. And you will need, basically, some space. One of these computers that's on the internet, one of these servers. Now, generally, you're not going to need your own server. Most websites won't sit on their own individual server. They're on some shared space, shared hosting. Okay, And most of the packages... Um, you'll see and you can buy quite cheaply, you know, five, ten pounds a month, twenty pounds a month, whatever, I will be on a shared hosting package. What that generally means is there's one computer sitting there running some software on it and it's probably got twenty, twenty five, fifty, a hundred different websites possibly running from that one computer. That's great if it's set up properly and each of the websites is quite small, not a problem at all. 
only becomes a problem when your website's huge and there's lots and lots of people going to it, lots of traffic. That'll mean that it's gonna slow right down. The other problem is if someone else's website falls over and crashes, it can take yours down with it as well. So there's some inherent risks about sharing server space. Not always a bad thing. You know, it's a cheap, it's a good affordable option, good way to start, but not necessarily the most secure or the most reliable way of doing things. Okay. The next is to have a dedicated server. Um, so basically, you go to a hosting company, you want your own server. What they'll do, you have your own computer in that net, kind of connected to the network, and that's yours, yours to do what you want with. You can reset that, you can put yourself on it generally. There'll be different options you can work with, um, but you haven't got the risk then associated with sharing with other people. Um, but presumably it's more expensive, isn't it? It is a lot more expensive. It's normally about five or ten times the price at least. Mm-hmm. You could technically get an internet connection yourself, have a um, your own kind of computer and just be using that as a server. Mm-hmm. There are lots of good ways of doing that. If you don't know what you're doing, it can be tricky. Some people will give you a solution for doing that. So I think that's, that's something else to bear in mind as well. But you've got to then think about firewalls. You've got to think about security. What happens if your power supply goes down? Does it mean that you know your web server goes down if, if there's a power cut in your area, all that kind of thing? If the, for example, if the computer crashes during the night, will your web server be down until the morning? All of those things will be covered by a hosting company generally, so they take a bit of kind of the maintenance away from you. Um, so something to bear in mind. Okay, let's talk about some other server issues here: language, space, email, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, all of the all of these hosting companies that will give you a server to put your kind of website on will give you different options. They'll give you, you know, 100 different email addresses, um, thousands of megabytes of storage space, all these different kind of things. You just need to work out what you need and think about it quite, quite carefully. What language do you need? You know, does it support PHP? Does it support ColdFusion? Does it support the language that you want to write your web pages in? Um, does it support any at all? It might not do. Okay, you need to think about, do you need email through that server and how many email addresses will you need? The key thing with all this is bandwidth. How much bandwidth is you gonna, are you going to need? So, for example, if you've got a web page with a podcast in it, and each podcast is 20, 30 megabytes, mm. and thousands of people start downloading it, you're going to need a lot of web space. The reason we give that example is we started getting massive bills from our hosting company when we started doing this podcast, um, because so many people were downloading it, it was going over our bandwidth limit by about 10 times. Mm. So we ended up paying you know, a good few hundred pounds every couple of weeks until we got that sorted out and got a new host. But then we got a dedicated server, so yeah. we've, we've been down this path as well. There's generally an accepted way of doing it these days amongst most of the podcasters, and, and they all say sort of, it's generally a, a bad idea to do what we did, which was put the podcast on the same server as the web server, because it will really start to impact your, your web page performance. So what you've done now is actually the better way of doing it, isn't it, where you have a separate server for your podcasts away from your web server? That's absolutely right. We've actually now got our own dedicated server that kind of handles everything for us. So um, just be aware of what you're going to be doing with your with with the server and how big your website is is it very graphic or video orientated any big files like video audio files are going to take a lot of bandwidth so sometimes you'll be given you know one gigabyte a month bandwidth limit which will sound quite reasonable when you start downloading big video files that will soon disappear Mm. Um, some will give you unlimited you know unlimited bandwidth if you can get that fantastic but bear in mind what the other limitations of the server might be so it might be kind of unlimited bandwidth but you might be sharing with 200 other people so it might be pretty slow so you just need to look at what the options are and don't necessarily think that because you can have 10,000 email addresses, it's good for you. Because if you don't need them, there's no point in having it. Mm. So just assess carefully what options you go for. 
Page editing. How does one maintain one's site? Let's talk about FTP and services like that. So you've basically got this web server. You've got these HTML or PHP or whatever files are sitting on this server. But how do you get them there in the first place? How do you actually contact this server and get the files onto it if it's somewhere else on the internet? Well, generally, the best way or the most normal way of doing it is FTP, which is just file transfer protocol. And all that is is a standard way of connecting to a server, sending files, creating directories, all the kind of standard things you need to do. So there's a few options. You can get some FTP software, of which there's you know, thousands out there, many free ones you can get. Uh, I use FileZilla. I recommend that one, FileZilla. Yeah, FileZilla is an excellent one. A lot of other programs that allow you to edit web pages will have FTP built onto them as well. Mm-hmm. And all that allows you to do is literally say, right, here's my page, copy it onto the server, make it available for other people. Okay. So you get your FTP software, you can upload your files. The other way of doing it is to use something that allows you to edit pages mm-hmm. and can do that for you as well. The standard one is something called Dreamweaver, um, which is made by Adobe now. Um, used to be Macromedia. And that allows you to edit pages in several different modes. You can edit them in a graphical mode. So if you don't have that much knowledge, you can just edit them like that. If you're technical, you can actually program your pages. You can then save them as a project and it'll upload them automatically and all those kind of things. The other option is to use something like Contribute, which is a much more graphical interface, takes away a lot of the kind of complex stuff for you. You put your FTP details in, like the username and the password once, edit your page, and each time you say publish, it just uploads the page. And you can get that, again, from the Adobe website. So it's adobe.com. Have a search out, and you can find Contribute, and that's quite a cost-effective way of doing it as well. So that, that's a paid piece of software, is it? Yeah, that's absolutely a paid piece of software. Same as Dreamweaver. Dreamweaver is a paid piece of software, which is a bit more expensive as well. Um, there's lots of free ones out there. There's things called a coffee cup and various different bits of software that you can edit web pages for free. At the most basic level, you can use something like TextPad, if you want, and you can just save as an HTML file, as a .html file, um, and that would work just as well. And then you can get some free FTP software and you can be doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially, you can get free hosting space if you're willing to allow a bit of advertising to sit on it. You can get free editors and you get free FTP software. So you can run a website for absolutely nothing if you want to. There are some downsides to it, obviously. Yeah. Um, but you know, cost-wise, it's not an expensive thing to get started with. Now, we've, we've talked about all these things. So we really are aiming this episode at perhaps the slightly more technical person mm-hmm. who likes to develop his own websites. Is, would you say, in your experience, there's a big advantage to people like that who, who want to do a lot of internet marketing? There is an advantage to getting some technical knowledge because it means you can try things out much more cheaply. So you want to have a, a form that collects email addresses. Well, if you want someone else to do that for you, you've got to tell them what you want. They've got to then give you a price spec for doing that. Then you've got to get the work started. They'll do the work. They'll charge you. And it takes a bit of time. And it's not always the most you know, cheapest way of playing around and testing things. If you've got a big website you want built, or even a small website, great, work with an agency or a freelance or something like that to get it done. But if you want to dabble and test things out and change things quickly, it's really nice to be able to do it yourself. Or to at least know enough so that if someone else is doing it for you, you can have a better kind of knowledge of what they're doing, if they're charging you correctly, um, and what the different options are. And it just gives you a lot more control over the situation. So if a lot of this podcast is sounding quite complicated to you, it's not It's not massively too complicated to pick up. Just pick up a few basic things like what is HTML? How is an HTML page built? What is the difference between that and JavaScript? And that kind of thing will at least allow you to kind of know what people are talking about when they're telling about web pages, and it won't, they won't be able to blind you with science and rip you off at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And I think that the more the more knowledge you've got, the easier it's going to be to play around with things and try new things out. I mean, if you just Google HTML or HTML tutorial, there's just so much stuff on the web, isn't there? Yeah. Any of the things we talked about today, if you put the word tutorial after them, put it into mm-hmm. Google, you'll find some fantastic information out there. Mm-hmm. All different levels, some well-written, some badly written, yeah. but... 
nonetheless the information's out there so and it's worth spending the time just to kind of try and understand the technical aspects a bit more yeah. and it makes everything else make more sense a lot of this stuff will when you look at it the html how the page is formed you'll understand a lot more about search engine optimization usability how is a page structured how does it work if you can change that page you can try out different options you can make a web page work better so a basic level of understanding of the technical stuff makes all the other marketing stuff fall into place mr daniel rouse thank you so much sir if you want to contact us, it's info at academyinternet.com. Visit the website at www.academyinternet.com. And if you want to send us an MP3 file or a WAV file, or just send us a question, we're quite happy to, to play an MP3 file that you might make and certainly email questions to us. We've had a few. We're saving them up. So uh, send us a few more and we'll probably have a questions and answers session. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Have a great week. And it's goodbye from me, Andy White. And it's goodbye from... Daniel Rose. Thank you very much. All the best. Internet marketing was brought to you by summitsolutions.co.uk. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 